0: Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to the Live More Right podcast. I'm Cody Liu, and on this week's episode, we have a very special guest. You'll hear more about him in the episode. Eric Carey and I spoke with him about his business, what he does, and how he helps gyms like ours succeed. So I hope you enjoy our conversation with Stu Brower.
1: And we're back, guys. This week, we have on a very special guest. Uh, we have on Stuart Brower, uh, short known, short name, actually just known as Stu. Um, but to, to pass it off to our owner, who's also kind of a guest on the podcast because we haven't had her on since one of our is, earlier pa- podcasts. day one, I think, is day one day or day one. two. It was like pretty early in the podcast for sure. Um, so we're gonna give it off to Carrie. How did you meet this uh, this guy, Stu, and why is he in our lives and on our podcast now?
2: Good question. Um, first of all, thanks for letting me jump in on your podcast this week and bring Stu along with me. Um, we started working with Stu, I guess, about a year ago, last May in 2018, um, but Kyler and I were kind of uh, social media creepers on him for a long time before that. So Um, we'll talk kind of during the podcast about kind of what Stu does and how he got there. Um, but on Facebook, Kyler and I kind of, as we were building our business and figuring out kind of best practices and connecting with other people in the industry, um, we found ourselves joining a few Facebook groups that were for affiliate owners only. And Stu would constantly post content and videos and good tips and information about running a gym there. Um and Kyler and I would always follow that stuff and we would tag each other saying, Hey, watch this video, hey, read this article. Um, and then eventually one day Stu sent a direct message to Kyler saying, Hey bro, when are you guys gonna sign up with me? Like you follow all my content. Um and I came home that day and it was like Kyler had talked to a celebrity, he's like, You'll never guess who messaged me. Um But that's kind of the way that business is going in terms of social media, like you can connect directly with the people out there who are doing what you're doing and what you want to be doing. Um, So we were at a point in our business, uh, we had just been open for two years. Um, Autumn, our second child was finally in full time daycare. So I had a little bit more time to really like dig in and focus on turning this into something sustainable. Um, So we jumped in with two feet with school last May and haven't looked back.
1: Yeah, so that's, that's a nice genesis of, of how we got to where we are. I mean, there's a lot of different steps and stuff that have changed over that time period. And it's, I guess it's been basically a year since you said starting up
3: with him. April 27th, 2018 was our first call.
1: April oh, 27th? Wow. wow. So you just passed your like one year anniversary. Yep. You guys did something really awesome. The guest, <laughs> the
0: guest did more homework than we did. <laughs> 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 so,
1: enough from us, Stu. Who are you? Like, uh, I know there's a lot more to you than in terms of just saying you're a business consultant or a gym owner because you yeah. do pull both of those titles. But how did you get to where you are today working with someone like us, but also like you know, dozens, if not hundreds of other gyms around the world. Yeah,
3: yeah, no, I, and I really, I uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. I, I truly do. Thank you so much. It's, it's really cool for the two of you guys because, you know, it's, you know, one of the biggest things I think that Carrie and I have been able to work on and it's manifested is the two of you guys. Yeah. Before when we started working together, one of the biggest goals were to get her a team around her that saw the same vision of the business and could help her take it to where it needed to go. And I mean, it, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I've got gyms that 18, 24 months in, they're still looking for their version of you guys, and they haven't found it yet. And so it's, you know, you guys are uh, an absolute blessing to her. So it's very cool to sit here and see this and it all culminate. But um, I started, I, you know, fitness from a young age, I went to an all boys high school, I played lacrosse. And when you go to all boys high school, it's essentially you go to, to play sports, but when you're 145 pounds soaking wet, you know it's not. It's a tough gig. I was in trouble a lot in high school, so I spent a lot of time in detention, which was cleaning the weight room, which turned into just working out all the time and telling them you were cleaning the weight room.
0: <laughs> and
3: that grad that that went into a uh, bachelor's in exercise physiology and uh, kinesiology, which went into me getting accepted into grad school. But me bailing on grad school, I found CrossFit early on. I recognized the opportunity there, and I was like, okay. I'm going to go full in on this. So I went to go work for an affiliate owner. Great dude in Tennessee. It was, um, it was early though. This was like, oh oh seven oh eight, And no one in that stage knew what the hell they were doing business wise. I've never taken a business course in my life. Um, and I was working for him $600 a month. It was great, but I knew I could do it better, but I didn't know how I would do it better. I just knew I'm like, I'm, I can do this. So, but I knew I wasn't going to learn there. So I quit and I went to work for a globo gym because as far as I was concerned, there was two business models out there, big globo gym and then Curves Fitness. If you guys, you know, in Canada, if that really I don't know if that hit the scene, but Curves was the fastest growing fitness franchise in the United States for a period of like eight years. It was circuit training, but machines. So like a leg extension machine, a bench press machine, a tricep, and then women would just go in rotation. And that was like the first pop of group X in that kind of a setting, in a micro gym setting. But I went to Globo Gym. I spent two years in what I call like business boot camp there, learning how to sell, hire, fire. I worked my way to the top, um, and that put me uh, over a bunch of gyms here in North Carolina and Kentucky. I set up shop in Kentucky, and I knew I was going to do my own thing, so I started my own business. They found out I had started this side hustle, fired me, forced me to go all in. I started uh, my gym out of the back of my truck in a park with six hundred bucks of Craigslist equipment that went into my that turned into my first brick and mortar. We upgraded to a larger brick and mortar as CrossFit South and as a CrossFit affiliate. And then in 2016, I purchased a building in Charlotte, North Carolina, rebranded it to Urban Movement, created a different concept. I had a different vision for my fitness passion um, at that point in my life. And, uh, and that was well on its way. I developed a good staff. I was able to kind of very much like Carrie now, I was able to breathe, right? I, I had people that I trusted in the business. And I started in 2015 uh, creating content off my iPhone for gym owners. Because at that point, I just, I watched Kalipa's videos. I listened to Ben Bergeron. And the only thing I couldn't connect was that I wasn't a CrossFit celebrity. Like, I couldn't relate to those guys. I, like, I loved the advice. Like, the content was great. But there was just a disconnect. I'm like, I can't relate to you. You won the games no 08. I can't relate to you. You coach these, you're the Ben Bergeron. Like, I couldn't relate to them. And I thought there's probably a lot of people that can't relate, but I'm a nobody. I'm an absolute nobody who started with nothing. I'm a complete fucking idiot and I figured it out. So maybe my story might be palatable. So let me start telling it. And here we are today. So what the fuck Jim talk is my full-time gig. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I have an office here at urban movement and, uh, I, you know, I've got a daughter now, um, a dad now, so that's an added role that's been very exciting and, um, things are good I and mean, I get to work with awesome people like, uh, like Carrie.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of change that's happened over the last, what, like 12 years. It's, it's like pretty crazy. It's been that long. Yeah. The biggest change that I think that you kind of glossed over on that I'd like to spend a little more time on is the big change from, I think you called it CrossFit South before and now. CrossFit South end. Yeah. South end. And now you're, now your urban movement. Right. And I know, right. I know just based on your working relationship with Carrie, mm-hmm how that kind of has evolved and why CrossFit is off. Sure. Um, But tell us a little bit about that and also why, why you still do some of the CrossFit prescriptions and how that still evolved in
3: your 100%. Yeah. So I believe in a theory, what I call the white space theory. I believe the biggest opportunity um, is to create a unique, um, a unique, a unique opportunity for somebody and it resolves in the right white space. So when CrossFit popped up, remember I talked about Globo Gyms and kind of like this curves model? There really wasn't anything else. Like when CrossFit hit, people, there had never been such a surge in Olympic barbells, gymnastics rings, and warehouse space as there was from 2008 to 2015. It's a huge surge. Rogue Fitness is 100% a byproduct of CrossFit's explosion, right? Glenn Pendeley is a byproduct of CrossFit's explode. all this stuff. And I saw that opportunity and I and I jumped in early and I got in, I got in at the right time. But I knew during a gold rush, the people that go rushing for gold rarely find it. If you really want to make the real money, you get there too. But then you sell the picks and the shovels and the Levi's, you sell the gear they're gonna to need to mine for gold. And that's what the real people in the gold rush really discovered. And that's what I knew. When going from Globo Gym, where personal training is king, I saw easily. There's no way these small micro gyms are going to be able to run viable businesses on just this group X membership at 150 bucks a month. It will not work. The math doesn't lie. So I'm going to get into personal training and nobody in 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 was talking about personal training in the CrossFit gym. The on-ramp that Rob Wolf and his wife, Nikki Violetti, who ran one of the best business blogs, it's still up today, um, coined. They created that. If you're familiar with Rob Wolf and his nutrition work, uh, the paleo solution and things like that. Um, so, so when I saw that, I, that was the white space Then here's the white space today, 2019, you have CrossFit gyms, and then you have very sexy, high operational capacity models, such as orange theory, F45, metabolic yoga studio, soul cycle, whatever it is that it. So the white space now exists in between. I needed. So when I used to pitch urban Mo- or CrossFit to people back in the day, if you guys remember P90X and insanity, remember those at home, that's what I used to say hey, what's CrossFit? Well, it's kind of like P90X. You know what that is? And they'd be like, yeah. I'm like, well, imagine that. But instead of jumping around your living room looking like an idiot in your underwear and pissing off your neighbor downstairs in your apartment, you do this in a gym with real equipment, with real people and a professional coach. How does that sound? Now, what urban movement is, is, hey, you ever hear of CrossFit? Yeah. Well, imagine CrossFit, but you won't get injured. It's less intimidating. You ever hear Orange Theory? Oh, yeah. Well, it's like that, but you won't get bored. That is where urban movement fits in. Is this white space in the middle? So that is where I think the industry is going, at least for me, that's where it's going. I, I, I think I'm, I'm correct on that prediction that we'll see more models like that. Not that CrossFit gyms traditionally are gonna do poorly. It's our, they're actually gonna do better. The good ones will stick around. There'll be a lot that die off. There's 15,000 and change now. There will be less in five years, especially if there's a recession in the United States. But um, that is, that's where that, the change came from. I just saw a desire. I also personally got very over the competitive aspect of it. I mean when you said South End. So South End is a borough, a neighborhood of Charlotte, North Carolina. Very young, very hip. The coolest place to live in Charlotte, North Carolina. The most expensive. Everybody... Wants to compete. Everyone with shirts off, tribal tattoos. I wear my knee sleeves to the grocery store after I work off. I have 16 pairs of weightlifting shoes. And this competitive thing really started to irk me because no one ever walked into my at CrossFit South End saying, Hey, my name's Sally, and I'd really like to get competitive and learn how to overhead squat and climb a rope without my legs. They just came in and said, I heard this fitness thing was badass. I'd like to do it. And the competitive juice that I perpetuated because I was a CrossFit affiliate and we did the open and we had our racks and we wrote your scores down and you PR'd, which nobody knew what that was. I had to tell, how many people do you have to tell what a PR is? Well, that's when you did something way better than you had ever done it before. We embodied this competitive culture. And then it's no wonder I have girls crying in my office after they don't perform well. I'm like, perform well? You're a fucking banker. What are you getting upset about? (laughs) This this workout's going to be here tomorrow, honey. Like, I don't understand why you're crying. Or, you know, I'm 2,000th in the open. Yeah, guess what? You're fucking 10,000th in a lot of things. What are you so upset about that someone in China beat you in this workout? And this competitive thing started really pushing me away. And I have to realize that was my fault. I created a culture based on that in my gym. So we started going away from it. First was get rid of R X, no prescribed weights, right? Shirts stay on, no dropping the barbell, no open, slowly peeling things away, you know, taking away the elements that I, I didn't resonate with. I didn't think it made better fitness. The snatch doesn't make you look better naked. It makes you better at the snatch, that's it. It's the lightest weight barbell movement you're gonna do compared to your deadlift, your back squat, your shoulder to overhead, it's the lightest weight one. It just looks cool. It feels really good. But do I need some chick crying because her ankle mobility sucks and she can't get it done right? Fuck no. So we just started pulling movements. Kipping handstand push-ups, fuck that. Gone. Overhead squat snatches, gone. We traded 90% of her gymnastic movements are strict. Strict pull-ups, strict knees to elbows, strict toes to bar, strict like strict burpees with a push-up instead of like the dry humping the floor worm, you know. We just made things look better. And, uh, and anyway, that was the genesis of everything that changed for me. I'm an OPEX coach as well. Like I've gone through OPEX. I hired Kyle Ruth, the head coach of training Think tank for two years to train me. I did an internship with training Think tank. I I wrote programming for regional athletes. Like I am as, I'm as much of a nerd in programming as there is. And I just didn't like a lot of the things we do at the mass level with CrossFit. I see no reason a 40 year old needs to do a kipping handstand pushup. I just don't get it. Doesn't make sense to me. So we just got rid of stuff like that. And it's slowly perpetuated to what our model is today.
1: I think oddly enough, like what you're do, what you've done is very similar to what CrossFit HQ has do, is doing right now, starting off, like, you know, really, really competitive or having everything um, because you appeal to like, you appeal to the masses, you appeal to like, I think as Greg was quoted as saying, like, you can't get the, you know, US Navy SEAL to do your programming if, if it's too easy initially or, or whatever.
3: Yeah. And tip of the spear.
1: Exactly. The tip of the spear idea. And that's what you're, you've done now. And that's what, that's what they're doing online with, like you see with their graphics. So like, that's one question I'd like, you know, a brief, a brief answer from you on like where your yep. thoughts, are with where, where HQ is going. Cause like their yep. messaging, Cody and I recorded, I think a podcast a week or two ago about yep. that. Um, but their messaging is, is drastically changed in terms of correct elderly people on their website doing, you know, Jug movements and stuff Jug like
3: movements, yeah, inside of like Ted, Bu- you know, Al Bundy's living room setting from <laughs> that 70s show. Yeah, I see all the comments. Um, so either there's rebranding or repositioning. I believe CrossFit's repositioning. They're not rebranding. Um, I, there was a Craig Ritchie, who's a very famous YouTube CrossFitter, right, the vlogger. He did an interview with Greg Glassman, and I did an entire response video to it recently. And Greg, uh, in that interview, Greg said that the CrossFit games were neither profitable nor were they getting people healthier. If you compete at the CrossFit Games, you are biologically less healthy, but you are fitter. Biologically less healthy, okay? We all understand that spectrum. Um, So if it's not making money and it's not making people healthier, those are their core tenants. We probably need to go away from it. So for CrossFit, it's an easy thing. Um, I think uh, for the CrossFit affiliate, I think essentially, again, people walk in the gyms, in my opinion, to look better naked, and then they get absorbed in the sport The problem is the dual branding. CrossFit is a universally scalable functional fitness program, but it's also a worldwide sport. And I think the dual branding is where they went wrong. If they could backtrack, I think they would have branded the things differently. I think they would have had CrossFit and then the sport of fitness. That's what I would have done. I would have never been called to the CrossFit Games. It would have just been the sport of fitness. And I would have just gone with two dual brand or double branding mutual, you know, instead of having one and one. So um, that's, I mean, my opinion is it's just, it's a business decision. They're just going in the direction that's actually going to be profitable because the games lose money every year and actually make people healthier. For me, it was more or less, I just wanted to get away from the sports. I kept all the good, I've literally, besides kipping handstand pushups, you know, a lot of kipping and group classes and anything, um, the snatch and the overhead squats we pretty much still have a lot of stuff. We changed the way it looks. We changed the way the class feels, you know, stuff like that. Um, We have a little bit different model as far as that goes. But beyond that, I just kept the stuff that still works. Push presses still do great. Squats are still great. Deadlifting is still good. Um, You know, but we hack things, you know, you ever see the guy that flip grips three fifteen touch and goes. He's like, I'm the shit. (laughs) Don't allow people like if you deadlift in our gym, you hand release at the bottom of every rep. Next time you two, and you guys are strong guys, go deadlift, whatever you would normally do in a workout, double overhand grip it and hand release at the bottom of every single rep, you'll be eating humble pies so fucking quick. And, but, but here's the thing though, as a fitness professional, is it not better that someone should probably not be externally rotated and then internally rotated every single time they deadlift? Would it not be better to also incorporate? I mean, how many people stick with a double overhand grip? when they're deadlifting with a touch and go kind of cadence and a CrossFit workout. Not many. Why? Cause they want to go faster. They never came in to go faster. They came in looking to just move, look good naked. And then this CrossFit thing, the Kool-Aid is just too addicting. We gave them a shot and they were hooked. We got them high on the, the sport element of it. And now they're, you know, I put my knee sleeves on around my shins so I can deadlift faster. And if it grazes my shins, it won't hurt me. We've all seen that person. Like, that's hacking the knee sleeves so they can deadlift faster. It's like, what are you doing? Um, anyway, it's just stuff like that. So for me, it was just getting away from the sport for CrossFit. I think it was just a clear business decision. This is not making money, and it doesn't reside with our core focus.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like, I think that, like, Cody could definitely speak to it as well. But, you know, doing our, our PT first model, we obviously meet with a lot of the people that come into the gym, you know, for our initial consultation. What you would say, like ninety percent of the people are exactly coming in here for those two reasons. Oh, I easily, yeah, better, yeah, better, yeah. Right? Like no What do you
3: guys that. see when you when you're sitting down and you're doing your PT first, like, because you were you guys, you know, do you guys ever see like the on ramp model, you know, like the non PT first model, obviously beforehand?
0: Yeah, I've seen it.
3: What do you think is different when you're doing PT first, like, how, like what is the biggest difference for you with working with a client for maybe three to five hours or more?
0: Um, I think. One of the big things is getting getting an intimate look at their movement and and them as a person throughout those sessions, whereas in a group setting, they sort of just show up you're like, "Hey, this is what we're doing, this is how you yeah. do it. Um, if you're doing it kind of wrong I'll, I'll I'll fix it if I need to." yeah um, and obviously that that one on one setting when you have that intimate and you and you build a relationship with that person so that by the time they get into class, you know their habits. And and they know you, so they're more comfortable when they come to class and and definitely removes a lot of that intimidation factor that came with CrossFit.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. The, like, you see that in t- intimate factor in terms of like, you get members to come into classes now that, you know, if Cody was working with them, I was working with them. you know, you know, you know, their outside life as well. Like, you know, their kids, you know, their yeah. the weekends, like all that stuff. It just makes it more, I mean, makes the best part of CrossFit, the community aspect of it better, right?
3: I, I agree a thousand percent. And also I think what's really cool, it's, t- it's twofold. Number one, how much better is a class when everybody can audibly recognize an exercise and they can do it generally well, like they still need coaching, right? They still, we, they still need our help, but at least you have less of a, all right guys, so they were doing push press and someone's like, wait, is that this one, that one right here? And they're, you know, they're, you know, mimicking an overhead squad. You're like, no, you Carol, you've been here for fucking three years. Damn it. Like, um, or, but it, here's the thing from, you know, McCary and my perspective as gym owners, I truly feel we make better coaches when you guys get to work one-on-one with someone. So often in a group class, you're working with someone on something, but your time is cut short because the clock starts or I have to go over to the other side of the room or someone else. We really, we talk about like, no, we have a group class and everybody gets individualized attention. They get about 48 seconds of individualized attention if you have 20 people in class in a one-hour class. Like if you really, if I held a stopwatch and when you went up to someone, I started it. And when he walked away from him, I stopped it and I did it for everybody, it's pretty astonishing how little individual time they actually get. And I think that really hurts coaching development. You can't get good at really getting amazing and mastering coaching the kip or the deadlift or the clean if in 45 second intervals or a minute interval. But you spend an hour if Carrie goes, okay, boom, Cody, this is a uh, Carol. Carol's gonna for today's work, I want you doing the deadlift, the kip with her rowing technique, and basic proper push-up technique. You got 60 minutes to work on four movements. You can master not only the verbal, you know, visual and tactile cues as a coach, but then also being a good human, like being a really good person to person human being. I think a lot of coaches, and I, I know this for a fact, are nervous about doing PT first. Like, I don't want to have to talk to somebody for an hour. What if I fucking don't like them? <laughs> like it makes you a really good people person. Cause guess what? The fitness industry, we're going to get people from all different walks and colors and types and shapes. You gotta be a chameleon. You gotta be able to make this guy laugh, make her feel safe, this, that, and the other thing. So yeah, I think, uh, I think you guys are dead on the money though, with the intimacy of the the culture that gets created through PT first as well.
0: Um, I also, I also, uh, agree that it's a really good point that getting to spend that, that, extra time on a few movements within an hour yeah and By the time they get into class the movement patterns of our onboarded new members are so much better than they yeah. were coming yeah. out of the group. and and then you get less things like injury or or, or fear some of those movements and things like yeah that.
1: yeah I think the one thing like, you you mentioned it as well and like I, I had Austin Maliolo on our podcast a, a while back um, and I asked him what like, one of the biggest things that he sees wrong with with beginner coaches and, and his answer was to more the same effect as what you said, basically like novice coaches are joining classes and coaching classes that are far too big for them to handle. Right. It's, yeah. I think like I learned, I learned basically through a PT model and just, you, you can only see and correct one specific person at a time. And then that one person becomes three, three becomes six, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Right. Even Greg Glassman, like
3: he, he did this one-on-one coaching. Yeah.
1: One-on-one coaching back in the day. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your consulting, team, consulting sure. business. what uh, What's up, Jim talk. Um, why not just own a gym? Why not just ride off in the sunset, make it like do really, do really, really well for yourself in terms of a gym and watch everyone else in Carolina or South Carolina just suffer miserably w- with running really crappy gyms.
3: Yeah. My, my wife probably wishes I had done that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I, there was John Gilson who uh, is one of the original business coaches back, like of guys who were creating content. John Gilson, he owned again, faster, which was an equipment company. He was uh, he's out of Boston, Massachusetts. Um, you know, there was a handful of guys. Chris Cooper is, you know, he's a fellow, he's a Canadian as well. He's one of the early guys. The roster wasn't big enough. I mean, even with the, uh, you, if you name all the guys out there making content, like really doing it, it's, you know, you probably could do it on one hand. I honestly just felt like a need. And also I knew I had the globo gym thing. Like I knew I had this thing that just wasn't being talked about. And I've always, um, owning the gym for me. It's funny. You, when you, as you go down through life and things happen, like change events, like big changes of events happen in your life. Like me going to consulting, I never had that planned me buying a building. I never had that planned long ago, uh, me opening more locations. I didn't have that plan necessarily. And you look at why things happen. And sometimes I think. I had to build up CrossFit South End and then buy a building to give myself credibility for What the Fuck Gym Talk. And then I had to run the hell out of What the Fuck Gym Talk and develop a following so that when I want to franchise urban movement, I have a built-in application pool. And now, what am I getting, like, and I just, sometimes I play, play this game in my head, I'm like, it's like this unconscious Frank Underwood, long play kind of scenario, like, what am I doing? Like, really, what is the subconscious thing? But at the end of the day, I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for being on camera been doing it since, since I was a kid. I, I I like creating content. I like putting my thoughts out there. Um, you know, what the fuck gym talk was just simply, I had like, what the fuck moments in my business every day. And I know other people had those too. And I just wanted to be like, hey, this is how I had done it. This is what I would recommend. And I think the delivery style and the content style uh, was was catchy for a certain kind of person. And it is certainly not for another kind of individual. <laughs> I'm not the most popular amongst the guys giving out advice um, sometimes, but It's, uh, it's, I've really enjoyed it. It's been amazing to work with people, you know, like Carrie and I've been able to travel and do things that, um, and I'm really enjoying it. I used to, I used to really, I'd go from six to midnight and Sally, your first pull up. But honestly, like nothing makes the hairs on my arms stand up anymore. than like moments and conversations like that me and Carrie have shared or my other clients when we either have a, a, a good, a good session where like they just are able to dump something on me. I'm able to provide a potential solution and it works out. Or, you know, you look at a year later and again, look at a two. and like it's just, like, it's so funny because I knew about you guys before you were even officially hired. I got to hear about you and all like, it's very, this is very exciting for me.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Like you can see that, like you, you can see your inspiration for the business bleed through in the way you talk, the way you, the way you also create uh, content. I think that right or wrong, a lot of the content you create, like, inspires people because it's not boring shit right like it's not it's not like just you're not just sitting there and some monotone voice saying the same script over and over right. and over again like you're swearing <laughs> you're saying yeah, well, i mean
3: it's right? entertain. you know entertainment and you know and even for you you're a content creator this is this is content right you know you, you've got austin maliolo who's come on this thing like this is you know no joke like um you, are, you have to shoot for education or entertainment and then if you can capture both though why did the Jersey Shore become overnight, like the characters in that show, they were more popular than Hollywood like actor celebrities because it was entertaining entertaining and it happened every week. Brad, put, Brad Pitt puts out a movie once a year, but Snooki was there every fucking Thursday. To <laughs> <Yeah. entertain. laughs> now Snooki is a character where you look at content creators that are like, oh my God, she's so annoying, but, just, but I can't stop watching. It's like a train, it's like a car accident. Right. So when you think of content, if you can be consistent, if you can have a height of where YouTube comes in, you're able to produce content on a consistent basis for someone to consume and you can be entertaining and enough educational where someone walks away either affirming, I'm glad I don't live like that. I'm glad I don't live life like Snooky," or... Going like, oh my God, I'm getting a blowout and getting a tan and moving to the Jersey shore tomorrow. It looks like so much fun. Like it has to have entertainment and education to a degree. And um, I think that's just the key in any content you produce. If you can do both, you're going to get an audience. But the thing is you don't do it for the audience. I didn't do this because I thought I was like, I don't care how many thought, like that's not it. I did it because I had something to say and I wanted to fucking say it. That was it. That's the only reason I make stuff every day. I don't care who watches it. I have no. I I do not pay attention to it. Instagram announced today they're going to start hiding the amount of likes that you get on videos. Did you guys read that?
0: Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. They, yeah. They've that's already crazy. implemented it. I went through my feed today and the number of likes is gone.
3: There you go. So because the again, and I that's the biggest thing. I I love that. I wish they would hide the followers. I wish all of that because then all you judge it on is good content. Yep. Totally. Because how many times do you go when you look for the social validity? That oh my god, seven million people watched it. I gotta watch this thing. Totally. When it could be complete dog shit. You know? Versus there's some content out there like in YouTube. That's why I've got become obsessed with YouTube. Cause everyone on YouTube, it's just them and a camera and their creative brain. Yeah. You know? So um, but yeah, no, I, I appreciate the the kind words on the content. It's it's fun and I'll keep doing it for as long as it, you know, as I enjoy doing it. And that's how I've done everything, you know. So that
0: that sort of brings you to my to my next question where creating the content was, was the original idea to turn it into a business or did you just want to put content out there? And then someone said, Oh, Hey, like, this is a way you can make money.
3: I remember calling Isaac into our lounge at the time. I'm like, I think I'm going to do this. Like I made, I made a few videos and post them in groups in the Facebook groups. Right. I'm like, I think I'm gonna start doing this like all the time. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like all the time. Like I wasn't coaching any, like, I wasn't like, I really had some free time and I'm like, I can do this. Um, but you gotta commit to it because you don't wanna be like, you know, go strong for a little while. And like I haven't I haven't I didn't put out a vlog today, which normally Friday I always have one at 10 30 M. And I've not published a single podcast this week. And I feel like empty inside. Okay, literally, I feel like there's been an itch that I haven't scratched. Right. And it, it's you know, I've been super busy with micro gym university and uh this this summit that we have coming up, but like so I just take a week off and it just you know, it's it's driving me nuts. Um but I believe that I, I don't think I, I knew it was going to turn into the business model that it's become. Um, and I, I'm, I'm really happy with it. But at the same time, and I've said this on content before, I'm like going to open more gyms. Like I'm a gym owner. I'm going to, urban Movement's going to be a thing that people are going to hear of way before they hear of what the fuck gym talk, if I have anything to do about it, it's going to grow. It's going to be a thing. People are going, again, this what the fuck gym talk thing is just kind of, uh, it's just fun. I, and I have the luxury of doing it cause the business runs itself. So, um, yeah, I have no idea. I, or what the fuck gym talk could be around forever. It could, I could shut it down in a year. If I open up a couple more locations, I don't know, but we shall see. But in the meantime, I'm going to keep producing content cause I love creating videos. I love it.
1: So one of the things you said, like you said, you, you started this basically because you had something to say. And I think I can relate to that in a lot of ways just because like I started to become a nutrition coach because I had something to say. I was sick of yeah. it. Yeah. Ketogenic diet and bad diets just for yeah, to, try to go from one diet to the next to lose fat. When it comes to the things you had to say, what were those things that you like the core principles when it comes to gym management that you initially had? Um, what were they? And not only that, like, have they changed over that time of your consulting? Because yeah. I think that, like, you know, for, for me, I'm almost done yelling the carbs are not the enemy thing because I think it's starting to transition out of this ketogenic love yeah. fest if you will um
3: yeah.
1: but I wonder if that's the same way for you as that has those messages
3: changed yeah so I've always I'm not gonna be romantic about anything so like again I, I I've been yelling PT first for a while because I truly believe it's the way however some guy calls me and he owns a gym in uh you know England and he's doing something completely different that I've never heard of and he's crushing it and I investigate it and I'm like holy shit no one, need, I'm going to go and I find some new way of onboarding people that's better than PT first. I will talk about that next. Um, yes. I, I think if I were to think my core tenants going to your first question, uh, PT first being one of them staff, the retention of staff over the retention of members is the biggest thing. And I know you guys probably have members listening. If any of those listening, we're not referring to you, but from a business perspective, finding amazing help is the hardest part, right? I literally... Isaac and Deuce, you know, I would, you know, I'd take bullets for these guys. I'd do anything I would, you know, I would, uh, I'd bankrupt myself before I'd ever let them fail. you know, you know, anything They're they are my rock. They are everything to me. Um, so staff over retention staff or retention employees. I do believe it's not what you do, but it's how and why you do it. That's another very core thesis that I stick to. What we do is not unique. Nothing urban movement. I got rid of my pull-up rig. I hung these silly little pull-up bars from the ceiling. Like that's not, that's not special. You know, we've got gyms that are like, I've got a guy coming tonight. He's coming. We're doing moving day. Moving day is my version of our twice a year open. We got rid of the open. We don't do that. We do moving day. And um, I got a gym owner coming down. Him and his wife had a layover. They're going to hang out and see it. And we're going to talk. And I'm sure they're going to ask me questions about it. And as I was walking him through the building today, he's like, Can I steal that? I'm like, Dude, take it. It's not what I do, it's how I do it. And then my why behind it. Because your why is what's going to get you through when you really don't want to do shit. But it's not what you do. We can copy anything, there's no such thing as IP. You know, I was, I was joking around, you familiar with Renaissance periodization, Nick Shaw. Yeah. Yep. You could steal that dude's entire company for $2,000. You could buy every template he has. Yeah. You can go ahead and put your logo on it. And you could steal his entire company for about two grand. Yeah. Nick Shaw produces content and he has a team and he truly, like, it's not what it is. It's how and why. So that's a very big core tenant. But yeah, I will, uh, my thesis and stuff will change as the market changes. I think digital will be a huge, I'm going to have plenty of new theses as it comes to digital. Um, And especially with the rise of Peloton and the mirror and tonal and these at home digital solutions that are just so sexy and cool, just super neat. Um, And I don't think brick and mortar is in, uh, in danger and in trouble, but I do think we will have to have a revenue stream where someone can engage with us post cancellation digitally for a small EFT rip, nine bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, something of that nature. I will, I think we're going to go to that, you know, Hey, Boom, carry okay, canceling. Oh, what are you going to do for fitness? Ah, I'm just going to work out of my apartment complex, do some things that you showed me, you know, that kind of like, well, for nine ninety a month, you can follow movement anywhere and follow the workouts that we do. We have live workouts that happen every single, like they, I think there's going to be something like that that gyms will be doing in 10 years.
1: I think we're already going there, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, like there's, uh, I used to be working with uh, Brian Borstein, uh, just individual style programming. And he, even he does like a, an rx plus program which is i think is yeah it's a very lower barrier to entry like nine 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 a month. and it's just accessory stuff right like yeah stuff that they could do it from their own home all that kind of stuff and
0: instagram fitness stars i guess if you want to call them that are like coming out with their own apps and just saying like oh like do the workouts that i do and you literally go on the app and yeah monthly fee and they have little Uh, any workouts i think
3: every do you guys have peloton stores in canada
0: we have one in calgary it's okay Yes.
3: go on a field trip and go to the store and wear your workout clothes and tell them you're interested in Peloton, even if you're not interested in one and they'll let you ride it and take a class. I'm telling you, you will get off that bike and you will think so much different about the way you run a group class. Like I'm going to get the Peloton treadmill for my house. Um, Cause I'm super intrigued by it. Cause the Peloton Peloton now has an app where they, you don't even need their equipment. It's just a running app. They give you running workouts outside. Like, it's super interesting, and I don't think we need the rush there as micro gyms. But I think the more you play with it, and that's the one thing I will like—I like to play with everybody. Like, I, there's not a model I don't mess with. Yoga, Pilates, all this stuff, spin studios, um, and there's something we can learn from everybody. So I, yeah, I, as the as the, the industry changes, my thesis is I'm sure will evolve.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think one of the things, like uh, for listeners, if you're if you're listening to what his first tenant was when he's talking about what the starts of why. Um, like a, a, a good read I'm assuming you're referencing it as Simon Sinek,
3: Sinek. Sinek. Was who? Simon Sinek. Sinek yeah yeah
1: yeah that's what I thought um let's talk a little bit about like we talked already about PT first but talk about how that how you brought that to carry a year I guess it wouldn't be a year ago maybe it was a year ago how long ago but,
3: carry it yeah go ahead
2: when, uh, so that was one of the, after kind of like all of the initial sort of cleanup work we did with Sue, PT first was like the first real big and probably the biggest change that we've made since working with him. Um, and we offered personal training intro, but it was not our preferred option for people to sign up because I had to find a coach who was available. And um, we, it just wasn't really a solid option. We were primarily a group on-ramp gym because that was, logistically, it was easier to get a bunch of people in the door all at once. The cost was lower. Um, and then just kind of as a, as a gym owner, I was scared of charging PT rates to get people in the door. I thought they would go somewhere else. Um, so we probably started talking about PT first, um, in the summer, right around the time that the two of you guys started. And that was all part of our plan was to have these two full-time employees who would then have the time, um, to take on these PT clients and commit to them, um, and really run this program properly. So I think we unrolled it beginning in August. Would yeah. you
1: say, from your side of you, did it unroll in the same fashion with Mariah as it would with everyone else? Is everyone, when you when you approach that with other um, with other businesses you consult with, is everyone kind of sitting on the fence and ambivalent about making the change, or where do you find a
3: percent? Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. I think a lot of my, my, so when someone first starts working with me, we just do this initial business development call. It's for me to vet them and make sure I'm going to be comfortable working for them and for them to vet me, you know, accordingly. And, um, but that's everyone. That's, that's a huge interest from a lot of people. That's a lot of my content's popularity is PT first. And I think people are very intrigued. How could I make it work? I'll address the six pretty much standard reasons people don't think it's going to work. I don't have the logistics. Uh, people won't pay that. Uh, how is the split going to work? All this other stuff. And, but then once you address it, it's also like there's a math portion. I'm not good at math. Like this is probably my weakest subject. Um, barbell math. Roll me a barbell. I can tell you exactly what's on it, but that's about it. Um, and, and, and gym math, like operational capacity and just showing someone at this rate at what we call a one-to-one point-of-sale cash, the point-of-sale EFT model, you're not going to be able to do the things you want to do with the business. I promise you. We need to charge more at the point of sale. And there's an actual, there's economic laws that show if someone's going to buy something for $100, they can spend two to $300 up front for, to earn that $100 purchase. So like that's why if you go to the iPhone, you go to the Apple store and you buy this, you're probably also maybe they could say that you're more likely to buy the AirPods and you're more likely to buy an expensive case that day because you'll never be more expo- excited about your new toy Than you are that day. So for PT first, no one is ever as excited about their fitness journey as they are the day they sign up for a gym. That is the day they're gonna be the most excited. Yeah, there's gonna be a PR pull up one day down the line, and that's gonna be the new Trump, but in the moment. And uh, with the CrossFit gym, what's the number one reason people don't come in the CrossFit gyms? Intimidation. So if you can say, I'm gonna take care of that problem by showing it to you in a nice, quiet setting. And it's not only intimidation, it's embarrassment. Have you guys ever taken a yoga class? yeah was it your was it your first time going to a yoga class
1: yeah and i can see where you're going and I, <laughs> uh, like full transparency i just scored 44 percent on a mobility test so yeah it was really embarrassing to be at, a, at a it
3: <laughs> so you know like you get on it eric and it's like they're like warrior three and you're like fuck me i'm really fit i swear to god i'm really fit but i look like an idiot right now and if so i went and took a yoga class with them and i was and this is at the height of me being young and in, in shape and stuff like that and i was like my god I feel like such a schmuck, but that was with yoga. When I was in shape, I just wasn't very flexible. I didn't balance and coordination. I was missing those 10, those elements of the 10 general physical skills that we need. But imagine CrossFit. You walk in and just like how hard that is to, for somebody and the amount of balls somebody needs when they're scared. Like the fact when they walk in and they tell you, oh, I've been driving past this place for a year. It took me a year to work up the courage to come in here and they're sitting across from you. They just told you they are scared shitless of this thing that's in there and they're still sitting across from you. I just am so proud of those people and so impressed by them that they're there. And even though they're afraid, cause to us, we're like, "Ah, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Easy for us to say, right? It's like the lion trainer inside there, petting the lions and shit. You asked me to get in there. I'm like, there's no way Mm -hmm. but for him, that's normal for us. This is normal. So I think PT first release sets some people at ease. I mean, how many times have you guys gone to pitch that and sell it and people like, they seem almost like relieved, like excited to start with one-on-one like that actually, like it makes logical sense. I've never touched a barbell. Of course I should get some lessons. If you were going to go scuba diving, you probably would get a few elementary lessons ahead of time. Unless you're going to do tandem skydiving, you have to, you have to go and take some lessons or at least watch a fucking video. Like, (laughs) There's some things, like, there are things that there should be a prereq for, but we're CrossFit. CrossFit's like, no, the needs of your grandmother and the Olympic athletes are the same. PVC pipe overhead squat. Like, I get it, but I, I just think, you know, and I think it makes sense to the consumer ultimately. I agree.
0: Yeah, I agree. one 100%. The, the second, when I'm sitting in a consultation with somebody or that initial conversation with someone, it's always when I tell them how we scale things is when- yeah when you see sort of some of that fear just kind of dissipate a little bit and they're like, oh, thank God, because there's no way I'm going to do some of the crap that I saw on YouTube yesterday when and I was researching. Here, here's
3: a little thing, right? I don't think I've ever said this out loud, I don't think I've ever said this carry. How cool would it be to have an iPad and on the iPad, you have it in like a PowerPoint, something you could just scroll pictures of or maybe GIFs or just images or movies and you show them, you ever seen this movement before and it's someone doing a clean and jerk or a snatch and they're like, yeah, I'm like, this is probably what you've thought. This is what we do, when you slide, and it shows this nice, easy, scaled version of something, and then they can visually connect what the fuck you're talking about. Because think about what you just said there. I tell the prospect we'll scale. What the fuck does that mean to them? They're like you're gonna put me on a scale, you're gonna weigh me. Like they, scaling is a jargon that you and me know. But imagine you're holding the iPad and you're literally sitting there, and you're like, "Sally, see this thing. This looks into whatever the intimidating movement is, a kipping pull up." That's what we might get you to one day, but I'm not even worried about that right now. This is, poop, and I slide it beautifully, and it shows a ring row. Ah, oh, you should throw that visual fucking in there. I'm telling you, you'll close higher sales than you have been if you have a visual, because right now you're just doing verbal. That is one sense. Podcasts are great. Video record your podcast. Joe Rogan gets almost as many people watching his podcast as he does what you're is he been telling you you've been trying to get him to videotape it? I saw you like nod enthusiastically. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well I was just like I watched Joe oh, Rogan. Yes.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. And why? Cause you like again, there's there's another element of visual. I bet you guys you'll double your viewing if you go YouTube and videotape your podcast or take this, like when you do the zoom, like recording it, upload it. You'll get people to watch it. You're like, did they really just fucking watch our faces for an hour? They will. <laughs> they will. Um, but yeah, so I mean that visual, like an iPad where you show like, this is an example of a movement that's more advanced. This is what we'll do with you. Here's another one. And because the reason I'm showing you this is because a lot of people think CrossFit, you know, is very intimidating and it can be at a very high level. This is what we're more talking about. So does that make sense to you when I tell you that we're going to scale for you? Yeah, I get that now. It's storytelling people. That's all we do in sales is storytelling. That's brilliant.
1: Yeah, that's really smart.
2: Hey, we have an extra iPad line. Yeah, that's brilliant.
1: (laughs) When it comes to when it comes to our relationship with you, and obviously not, I mean, our relationship is in you and I because we don't really communicate that much. No, we have a,
3: we have a relationship now. We're, we're talking, we have DM, DM each other on uh, Facebook. We're boys now.
1: <laughs> so when it comes to how you met Carrie and what your first perception was, and like, like you said, whenever, whenever it's a coaching relationship because that's essentially what you're doing is coaching. What was your initial thoughts uh, of the way we, our business was when you first started it? Was it like, Holy shit, these guys are really doing everything backwards. Is it like, Oh my God, there's a lot of work or like, where were you on that spectrum?
3: Yeah, no. So I I'm literally, so I've pulled up here. Um, my, so I have a, I keep notes of every call I have with every client ever on my, uh, the, the Apple notes app. Right. So I go back to my very first call here with Carrie and I'm looking at it and I take notes before I even get to my conversation with her. Right. And, one of the thing, my big at the time, uh, there was a, a another um, a marketing solutions that guy that she was using for some stuff like that. And he did a good job, and I, you know, not not his name was Remy, and a good dude as far for all things that are concerned. And um, my big question was, I thought, I thought she had a really cool thing going. I a lot of people when I see them doing a, a marketing solution, generally there's a rush involved, like I need people now, and my thing was just like. So we could slow down. We're doing okay. Like there's no way. You're not going out of business tomorrow. And so I, I remember like, I remember getting into that call thinking two things. I'll, I'll talk about the second thing in a second. But the first one was we can slow down. You don't have to get in 30 people this month. You don't have, with PT first, what you found, the drip is slow. Like it's less people, higher quality people. They get a better, yeah, more money. It's, it's a quality over quantity kind of solution. That's it's what I typically get with a lot of people. It's like, Relax. This is a business. Like we, we don't have to rush this day. It's not a sprint. The second thing was, um, I was really happy to be talking to a female business owner. This is a very male-focused industry, very patriarchal. If I to speak openly on that, and I am always very impressed and very excited when That's I have the so fucking Siri. Sorry, um, I when I have that. the opportunity to work with a female business owner. It's something that's very inspiring to me. I grew up with my, my dad died when I was young. I grew up with all women. I had an aunt in the house and my mom and my grandma and my sister. And like, I just always grew up with women. And it's always very impressive for me in the fitness industry to see, especially, and I was uh, you know a brand new parent at the time, but someone who who's a parent and it's juggling all that. It gives me such a higher level of respect. Um, there's a women's only, there's like a women's uh, affiliate owners group kind of scenario. Isaac's in it. And Isaac, every now and then, will shoot me a, she'll like, shoot me a screenshot. She's like, you're not the most popular in here. And, and I joke around and I laugh because I get it. I understand my delivery style and things like that. But anytime I get a chance to work with a, a female business owner, I am always instantly impressed. Because I think the fitness industry, I think it's a little bit harder for a female. I truly do. I do think there are challenges that represent Isaac is a, I say Isaac. And a lot of people think Isaac's a dude. We, the gym owner who came in here today. He looked at So He goes, you Isaac? And I'm like, no, Isaac's the first name is Sarah. But if I yell Sarah in this gym, six girls turn around. And it's just, Isaac's my boy. Like that's just, Isaac's always been like Isaac. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a very soft spot, very strong soft spot for female entrepreneurs in the fitness industry.
1: Yeah, I, I, obviously that's like, like, it shows that you can work with all groups of people. Like you're the chameleon in terms of the, um, consulting space as well what was the what was the perception of like the practices that we had at the time um because I know you mentioned like you know yeah you weren't doing PT first at the time um but how do you work in terms of that like area of priority if you will um, like what has to go first what has to go second and how do you build from there because obviously you know it was the PT first model but was PT even first was it was it hiring Coaches first. Yeah.
3: yeah. It was so, at the time, it carried 135 members, you know, without getting into, like, TMR and ACV and all this stuff. Um, there was 5% of revenue was PT. So, that was obviously, to me, one of the first things that had to happen. But I also know I'm not trying to give this woman five more hats to wear. So, while PT first needs to happen, she needs the the, the power, the, the, the infrastructure. And the infrastructure is people. She needed – you two. She needed a team around. And, um, yeah. And so, uh, staffing was going to probably be our first thing. Um, at the time there was, uh, you know, you had a, you had another individual that was a female who was going to your head coach scenario. Now, you know, you were on a completely different trajectory that changed for you. And, you know, Carrie juked and jived and she zigged when she needed to, and she zagged when she needed to, and she, she recruited and found you guys. And, Um, she's a good judge of character and and we were able to, to install this, but I, I'm not a systems guy. So when I work with someone, I like, I never walk in with a plan. I always get that initial call. I get a feel for the person and we go from there. And I'm not like, I'm like, I'm one of these guys that's like, man, if you net one to two members a month, that's really good. And in today's marketing world, and Carrie probably gets hit with these ads a lot more, it's all like, get 60 members a month, 90, like, I'm just so the antithesis of that. I'm just like a slow and steady thing. I think it's what's sustainable. I think it's realistic. I think it puts less pressure on us, just like your clients. They don't need to lose 30 pounds in a month. You know, a pound a week would be good, Sally, you know? Um, But yeah, so it was, it was staff, uh, it was PT first, but I knew we needed the staff for it and she was going through restructuring staff wise at the time with one of the employees. So I remember that's when kind of the hunt for you guys began.
1: So when it came to like, I know I take this message from Sean Pestuch and I might be bastardizing his name. I don't know if I'm proud.
3: <laughs> Sean is one of my favorite people. He is yeah. like, you want to talk about the dude that stirs the pot, like just shit stirs the pot. That dude, I love Sean.
1: <laughs> so He was either on your podcast or he was, or you were on his podcast. I just remember yeah. podcast, but one of his biggest things was professionalizing the the coach coach his his idea is like go pro like you
3: you need yeah turn pro yeah
1: why do you believe that method in terms of because I know I shouldn't say no
3: so me and Sean actually differ so I had Sean down to urban movement this year and we did our PT first crash course seminar me and Sean randomly one night he called me I think he might have had a few cocktails I had a few and I was like dude you want to just like fly down to Charlotte and we'll, we'll we'll do we'll announce this thing he's like dude that's in two weeks no one's gonna come so we just did. I'm like, worst case scenario, you come down and we'll shoot a bunch of content. I think it'll be great. We'll have some drinks. It'll be fun. People came. We had like 20-some people come to this thing. And anyway, Sean and me actually disagree in a lot PT-wise. Like you wouldn't believe our fundamental differences on how PT should be run in a gym. But we and Sean both understand it's not what you do. It's how and why you do it that ultimately matters. I think Sean's thing of turning pro, my issue with it is I've been around long enough to know that very few people are technicians for life. Sure, coach, go pro, but I promise, coach, want to go manager when they're married with two kids. Mike Bergner, the Olympic weightlifting coach, is an outlier. That guy's gonna die teaching people to snatch and clean and jerk. He'll die in his garage doing it with a PVC pipe in his hand yeah. and a cup of coffee. Very few people are very few people are coach for life. Very few, and it, I think it's so. I believe whereas the turn pro. I love it, but I'm a little bit more, I, I tell people this all the time, what, Stu, why you open a second urban movement location? Number one, I have a real estate company that has to keep buying buildings. Number two, Isaac. Isaac is the reason. She's been running one location now for be going on eight years. She's going to get bored. I have to open up a second location if I want to keep her because I know there's two things I can day trade on, fulfillment and compensation. So while Sean talks a ton about the compensation for a coach, a lot of what I believe in is about at some point you have to create the infrastructure for that person to do more. Deuce is the same way. Deuce is going to want to become the GM. Isaac's going to want to be over two locations. Then Deuce is going to want to be over two locations. And if I want to keep them around, I have to keep growing the business or we franchise our movement and they this becomes HQ and they're over franchising and things like that. Like there are plans that we have But it all involves fulfillment and compensation. These are the only two things I think that matter. Sean talks a ton about compensation for the coach. He's catching a lot of heat because of that morning, that chalk up article. If you guys have all been catching that morning chalk up article he wrote about bashing Chris Cooper's four nines model. And uh, that's been very entertaining. Um, But yeah, I I believe a lot of what he says. Just a lot of my stuff gears a little bit more around the future development of someone not coaching forever because I don't think they will. I think very few will.
1: Why is it important from a gym perspective to have full-time coaches instead of just seven part-time <laughs> singles who
2: come here, before you have your taken a road. What was that? Who come here before and after work. Cause most many, I won't say most many CrossFit gyms operate that way. They have a bunch of people who do other stuff and then they show up to coach before and after work. And we went through a, f- a period like that.
3: You guys ever take a long road trip. So like, I went to school in Ohio. We would always go to Panama city beach for spring break. My earlier days, right? I'd beer bong faster than anybody, right? And uh, it, my earlier day, we, on a car ride, you'd have six guys in a car and there was always three guys who were worthless. They would never drive. Like they'd help out for, they'd be they'd like, oh yeah, I'll take over. And they'd drive for like 40 miles. Like, oh, I'm falling asleep. Someone else, it was always like one or two of us that were like road dog in the entire thing. We were like the two guys. He would sleep while I drove and then we'd switch. That's how I picture the business. You need a co-pilot. You don't need, you know, you and then a bunch of people in the back. Are we there yet? I need to go to the bathroom. Like I need people who are down to ride, like my ride or die for the entire journey. Isaac, if I died today, she, my living will, Isaac takes over the business. Okay. Isaac is a female version of me because she is literally, this room is like, I think it's like a 10 by seven or something like that. Or 12 by seven. We were in a room half the size of this for going on seven years. Just me and her. She had a little desk from Ikea. I had a little desk from Ikea. She heard everything I had to say, every business move I made. She literally is the walking, talking, breathing version of me. I guarantee you this chick gets DMs offering her jobs to move and leave. I guarantee it. She would never tell me, but I guarantee you she does and she could do it, but it's because she was full-time. If she would have just been part-time, she could have never become what I needed her to become, what she was capable of becoming, which is the best general manager I've ever seen in the fitness industry. And um yeah, that's, I mean, that, that's why you need someone full-time. This is a 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. job, people. Isaac will work more than 40 hours a week. There are, mo- there are weeks where she won't even work 30. It is a different gig. And when people come in like, well, I'm just looking for 40 hours, you got into the wrong industry, homie. This is 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. And I'm not saying you're working that entire day, but the day is really fucked up. You're going to work when everyone's getting off work. You're waking up when everyone else is sleeping. You got to really want that lifestyle. But again, the fulfillment is high. She worked at Bank of America making really good money. But her fulfillment was low. Her compensation was high. I flipped it. She came to word for me. Compensation was real low. Fulfillment was through the roof. And I slowly built it up year after year after year after year. So um, you need full-time people because, uh, you know, it's like Tinder. You guys have Tinder up in Canada? Of course you have Tinder yeah, up well, in Canada, right? Like I'm you guys more, have a oh,
0: yes.
3: <laughs> You want a steady person. You want someone who's there every day. Like Isaac knows when I'm having a shitty day. She knows when I know when she's having a shitty day. Um, you want that steady person in your business life. Like she's my, my work wife. I joke around like that. Like you want that person in there. You don't, you don't want to have a bunch of part-timers that are, it just, you know, I'll go out with you when it's convenient for me, when my other obligations, you know, part-timers, they're not around on the holidays, you know, you're gonna get them after their full time job, their family, and their personal life. Oh, and their workouts. Then you get their availability. Right. That's mean, why full time.
0: Yeah, I 100% am on board with what you're saying. Um, I haven't actually told Carrie this, but a couple of months ago, the company I used to work for offered me a job again that was higher paying, Monday to Friday, you no know, like holidays off, weekends <laughs> and I told them no. Uh because I, I said I'm good. I'm good where I'm at.
3: Yeah, and so and that's an amazing so huge. It's Thanks. so funny you bring today's vlog that I'm recording. I had one of my guys, Chris Webster, he's been my videographer for two years. This is a kid. He worked for me for pennies as a videographer. Like I couldn't, you know, maybe thirty, whatever. Not a lot. He got paid, he got double salary to go somewhere else. So he leaves. Great guy though. We're so good friends. And um uh, a recruiter contacted him. He went for going from like forty or fifty five thousand a year, offered him hundred and fifty. He turned it down because he just loved the company he worked for so much culture. And again, fulfillment was so high at his job. The compensation didn't matter. And that's exactly, I'm just mimicking what you just said there. It's amazing what loving your job will do. Happiness you know, happiness, you know, again, money will buy, you know, what's it, uh Dane Cook, the comedian, you know, people say money can't buy happiness. Bullshit. Happy, money can buy a jet ski. and You've never seen anyone fucking frown on a jet ski, right? <laughs> like, you know, I believe money will buy happy. I truly do, but it won't fix sadness. Yeah, right. If you're not happy yeah. somewhere, no amount of money they pay you is going to fix that. Yeah. But you love your job and love what you do and the people you interact with every day. How many people do you know that you guys are friends with that go to work every day dislike almost everybody don't like what they do it's crazy what you know what percentage of your life you'll waste doing something you don't love
1: 100 percent. yeah i couldn't agree more with you on that one i want to respect your time and obviously you've been with us for we've been recording for almost an hour already one an hour so one of the i only had a couple more questions sure yeah go ahead we're um, good brother For for people who are listening when it comes to either, like, even if you're not going to to Mariah, and I'm sorry if you're not, it's, it's your loss. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: yeah.
1: if you're not going to Mariah, if you're going to a different gym or you're listening to somewhere else, how do you recognize a, a good CrossFit gym from a bad CrossFit gym? Like, how do we, it, Even if it's like a drop-in model, like even if you're going, on yeah, basis, you're going, like how do you tell what's a good CrossFit gym other than going and be like, whoa, they have all of the the latest Rogue equipment. I can <laughs> I can use the Rhino in here. Like, how do we tell? Yeah,
3: yeah. So the, the easy answer is the Glassman answer, which is look at their bathrooms. Do they take care of their bathrooms? And I, I agree with that, too. I think that's great.
2: We don't have control over our bathrooms. <laughs> Just, <yeah>. <laughs> Just, <laughs> but
3: but it's, see, that's why I don't use that metric. I, um, here's one. If I want to know if the business is doing well, I ask, who's your longest tenured employee? Right? And I mean, you wouldn't ask. This would be a really weird question to ask, but then how much do they make? I ask those two questions. Like, and again, that's me as a business guy talking to another business owner for anyone listening to this to give you a better, you know, for you to go into a gym, um, I would be asking how many of the coaching staff are full-time. I think that's a very common answer that a customer could ask. Oh, cool. Do you, are your coaches full-time? I think it's a very telling answer and you would not believe the line in the sand of all the micro gym owners. If people had to raise their hands, they have full-time employees versus not. And I, I think someone who's a full-time employee or if they're at an organization that has made that sacrifice financially, like it, it obviously costs money, but has made the the realization of the investment that staff members, team members are going to grow the business, not members, not rogue equipment, not the owner, the owners, we don't grow the business. We get it going. We normally fuck it up if we stick around too long though. We truly do. We get too caught up in our own bullshit. We need new, we get snow blindness. Um, but yeah, that would be a question. And when you go into a gym, you want to know, is this a good business? You know, because that one class is an indicative. The bathroom is an indicative. I've got pristine bathrooms. And the other day we had one clog on us and nobody knew about it for like two hours. So you would have walked into that bathroom. You would have thought we were a shithole, um, literally. And it was, um, but no, I'd ask how many, you know, how many of your coaches are full time? I think that's a huge, an easy indicator.
1: Yeah. I think like one of the things that Carrie's kind of instilled within Cody and I, when we travel is, is stopping in at boxes and, and now having worked in the gym as long as I have, you see, you see with kind of opened eyes, how other, gyms yeah. do, for sure. Um, so one of the last questions, I guess probably the last question that I have anyways, um, in terms of your business yourself is kind of, I'm going to steal from Tim Ferriss so if Tim Ferriss is listening, which I really doubt he is. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, dude, but, um, if you had a billboard um and you could write on anything on on it what would you write because i think that like you know it's also similar in terms of lines like what do almost all gyms do wrong but like exactly yeah. like, if you have a billboard you can put it on the side of the interstate what would you write
3: i you know i'm very i'm a i'm uh you know i i draw influence from guys like george carlin and and howard stern and he's you know i'd probably put something more controversial uh passion or profit over passion. I, I've, I, I, every gym owner I get on the phone with is passionate. Oh my God. They're passionate. Like through the eyes to a fault. They're not profitable. And unfortunately that is why there may be divorce in their future. Second mortgages on their home. They won't be able to have Cody and Eric's that, which means there are young trainers and coaches who would love to turn pro. Like what Sean Pastuch is saying, But without the business owners creating entities for these opportunities, you are going to be stuck with a level one and an exercise phys degree that is you're going to have limited places to go. I want more micro gym owners to focus on profit over passion. Passion is great. You cannot deposit into a checking account. Passion is what fuels you to continue to do the work when you don't feel like doing the work. But without there being a product of profit. And I'm not talking, you have a Learjet in the back and you're going to Coachella every year. Kind of like, you know, you don't have to be making that much money, but there needs to, the business needs to work. And I, and I, and so I, I would throw that up on a billboard. Um, and I'm sure that would get some, some kind of response. Cause you say that to a lot of people, they get defensive, but the only ones that get defensive are the ones that are not profitable. Like, Oh, I don't need it. I will every day. I love nothing more than the sound of those doors going up. That's my, that's all I need. I need that text message from the client saying they finally got off their type two diabetes. I want that too, but you won't be able to provide that if you are out of business and Jim, here's the thing. Micro gyms don't go out of business. Like you don't like they're not filing bankruptcy. They're selling them to a coach for 20 cents on the dollar and just tapping out. Like real businesses file bankruptcy, they take it to the end. Microgym's like, ah, fuck! I'm just gonna sell it to this next guy down the street because there's some new green-eyed level one whose aunt Sally just died and left him sixty five thousand dollars, and he's able to get he's able to jump into this thing. It's this incestual cycle. But yeah, I would. That's what I'd throw up on a billboard: profit over passion.
1: Yeah, that's everything for me. Is there anything you two would like to add? Um, I don't think so. We covered we covered quite a bit today, so. Yeah. Um, is there anything on your side of things? I know you mentioned just in passing your summit coming up, so plug that away for sure. Let people know.
3: Yeah. That. If anyone, so any, if you get gym owners and stuff in this, we're doing something very interesting. I took, um, the owners of Alchemy 365 metabolic vitality fitness and myself. I took the guys that I thought were re- they were all very successful across the gyms, probably even more successful than mine was at the time. And they broke it. They literally had this amazing cash producing, awesome thing. And they went in a completely different solution. If you're not familiar with what Alchemy 365 did or Metabolic, go look those guys up. Um, and they took, they left the reservation, the safety of the word CrossFit. They all did it during the height of CrossFit. I did it on the tail end. These guys did it when CrossFit was still gushing cash when you got in right. And they went and created something just, in what they've created, you know, Metabolic's got nine locations in seven states. Alchemy's gonna be opening their eighth location in two states, in Denver and Minneapolis. And I bet you they're sitting at 50 locations by 2021, 2022. They've got crazy expansion growth. These guys have created things and truly rebranded and created something else. But I think it's the the how and the why, not what they did. I'm not saying everyone needs to create a metabolic and a, an alchemy, but the how and why is what these guys are going to talk about. And I think that's something there's a lot of business owners out there, micro gym owners that... They like CrossFit, but they have something else, another itch they want. Like, they have another idea than the traditional CrossFit model, and they're looking for the permission or the strategy to implement it. A lot of rebranding talk is really popular, you know, going from CrossFit Southend to Urban Movement or from CrossFit ABC to ABC Athletics or whatever the hell you're going to do. And I think it's a very, I think people are thinking about rebranding in a very sloppy way. And, uh, so I'm bringing these guys down together for two days to talk with people in intimate small groups about how to actually, you know, to take their advice and how to actually pull that off. I'm just really saying, I love great Jason a great dude, but I don't know how many business conferences you can keep making Jason come and dance in front of. There's just not a lot. This is just something different that, um, that no one's ever put together. These group of individuals with this specific topic, this is essentially how to walk away from CrossFit or do something different from CrossFit which again is a very controversial thing, but uh, you know, I wouldn't do it any other way.
1: Yeah. And I think it's an, an important time kind of in the industry as well. Um, tell yeah. everyone else actually where to follow you and uh, to watch your videos too. Cause I think. Yeah. The reference the Craig. Awesome. That was really good too.
3: The, uh, surprisingly enough, the handle of WTF Gym Talk wasn't already taken. So you can literally put in at WTF Gym Talk in any social media, YouTube or Instagram or Facebook and find me and shoot me a DM. I'm really quick on the DM. Uh, I will reply back, probably even send you like a video message in my face because that's just the easiest way for me to communicate typically. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's it. Just at WTF Gym Talk.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast yeah, again. Su- yeah, I appreciate it. I'm sure are going to find this really, really helpful. Hopefully other gym owners can find it helpful as well.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much. Thanks, too. Absolutely, guys.